exercise. <laughs> what works? What are the best exercises? Which are the ones that work? Here's a great answer. Or is it possible that all exercise works? Could all movement be better than no movement? According to the medical professionals, the top ones in the world that are studying why we're dying earlier and we're getting sicker and fatter and weaker and quicker, it's because we're inactive. Inactivity, sitting, is the new smoking, according to the medical professionals. So if we don't do anything, we're in deep trouble, deep doo-doo, as they say. So what do we do? And it seems that the further we get away from zero exercise, the less likely it is that people are going to do it. Because zero is the number of choice at the moment. 90% of people in the world do zero exercise or the exercise that they're doing has no value to their long-term health benefit. So they do it so infrequently or irregularly or it just is a waste of time exercise. So there's 10% of people that are doing something and that's working because there are 10% of people in the world who regardless of what they're doing, they are healthier, they are living longer, they have less challenges with uh, viruses, bugs, germs, diseases, they have left less hassle or less risk of uh, depression, anxiety, they sleep better, they look better. So exercise or, or moving more seems to work. So how do we help the people, or do, do you want to help the people, the 90% of people who zero, zero <laughs> is the number of choice, that's the amount of exercise they want to do, and what are the reasons why they don't do it? And as an exercise professional, um, is it my responsibility, is it our responsibility to make sure that we give people the exercise that they can actually do or that there is more likelihood that they will do? And if you care about people, and I know that sounds ridiculous, of course we care about people, but as an exercise professional, I'd really like us to consider that statement because most people that come to the Max International Colleges actually say that to me. When I ask, why do you want to be an exercise professional? They say to me, because I want to help people. So if I ask the next question, which again is going to sound so ridiculous, if you want to help people, do you want to take the longest way, the most ineffective way, the most unsafe way to give a person a result? Because we know that if you exercise, you'll get a result. If you do something, it's better than nothing. But if the something is unsafe, it's ineffective and it wastes people's time, even if it gives them a result in the short term, is it possible that they won't stick to it in the long term so they end up back where they started from? And maybe worse, because they had a bad experience with exercise. And a lot of people, I think you might have heard this like I have, they say, I've tried everything. I've tried exercise, all of them. I've tried diets, all of them. I've been on every challenge. I've joined every gym. I've tried every personal trainer, boot camp, yoga, Pilates, boxing. I've done everything. Nothing's worked. So I think this is a... A really important question. If we're going to inspire and excite people to exercise because we want to help them, is it our responsibility to give them the best exercise? So if we have a look at is it safe, is it effective, and is it time efficient? And I think they're the three big ones because the opposite to that, of course, is waste people's time, hurt them, and it doesn't work. Well, that's going to be that's no, there's no win for anybody there. We're not going to have long-term clients or members. We're going to have really annoyed past clients and members. It's just not going to work. So this is a very difficult for me because I've been an exercise professional for all of my life, literally. There's very few people in the world like me who have been doing this since I was 13 years of age, and now I'm a very chronolo chronologically advanced old lady. I love saying that because I really am healthy, fit, and strong, and I'm in advanced years of my life. I love saying that. So 
because this has been my career path, I can look at both sides. I, I know what it's like to not know my anatomy, not know my physiology, not understand how the human body works, and just talk rubbish out of my mouth. And I did that for a long time because I, because I had a bit of paper, because I was qualified, and then I got many, many pieces of paper because I, um, I love learning. But I went to the courses that didn't teach me anything. They taught me what to think but not how to think for myself. So I regurgitated a whole heap of information out of my mouth and I gave people exercises that were unsafe, ineffective and wasted their time. And uh, I passionately, passionately believed, sincerely believed that I was giving them the right exercise and I was passionately and sincerely wrong. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you that because we've all made mistakes in our lives. One of the things I'm very proud of though is I like to learn from my mistakes. How about you? So as soon as I ever found out that that wasn't effective or I studied my anatomy and physiology and worked out that's not how the human body works or look what's happening to the joint in that exercise, of course it's going to get damaged or look at the, the lack of nutrition in that eating plan, of course the person's not going to have any energy if they're eating like that. And that became a very important part or has always been an important part of my life is to learn and keep learning and if I learnt the wrong thing or I didn't learn it in depth enough or I just listen to rubbish, that I needed to admit that I was wrong and to change the direction I was going in. And this is where it becomes very sad for me and I can't put it any other way. Uh, I have literally dedicated my life, my entire life since 10 years of, of age to exercise. I started exercising reasonably effectively at 13 because I got up off the floor. And I share that with you because the human body doesn't function on the floor. And so much of what the exercise industry gives people to do, so many pieces of exercise equipment, so many exercise programs are actually designed to put the human body on the floor. We have pieces of equipment, yeah, that are on the floor. We sit people down all the time in exercise. We do floor exercises and floor classes where the human body is, was never designed to function in the seated, seated or lying down position. We're meant to sleep lying down, yeah, that's awesome. Sitting, I don't know where that even came from. Uh, it's just a ridiculous position to be in. Uh, you bend your body in half, you, you restrict all your circulation, and, you, and you're putting your biggest muscles that use the most energy on, on hold. They're resting. I think that's really sad that we haven't gotten that. Uh, but the, the reason I can say that is because I didn't get it either. I was an idiot. <laughs> I didn't learn, and I just repeated other people's opinions. I also wanted people to like me, so I allowed my circle of influence to dictate my thought space. Then I went to courses that told me what to think, not how to think. So I, I was a recipe for disaster, and I think I was an absolute disaster. Until I had these two very distinct moments in my life as an exercise professional, and I'm asking you very personally, if this hasn't happened to, to you yet, please learn from my mistakes. I had been giving people all sorts of ridiculous exercises and telling them how many to do and how many reps and sets to do. And I went to a, a very large exercise conference in the United States of America and it was in a big conference room and I'm going to say it was, it was because it was a grand ballroom. There might have been a thousand people in there but there might have been five thousand. I'm not very good at crowd assessment. There's a lot of people in there. And it wasn't a, an education program for people that weren't qualified. This is a conference for already qualified fitness people. So the room was full of gym instructors. And because it was America, there were some personal trainers. Personal training had just started. There were a lot of coaches. 
There were a lot of gym instructors and there were certainly a lot of aerobic instructors. And this little man came into the room and he was, uh, he was wearing a suit and tie, but he was tiny, he was a little guy. And uh, you could see that uh, the big buff boys in the room and the ripped abdominals and the big shoulders and the gorgeous arm people, they weren't particularly impressed by this little man. So he walked in, happy smiley face. And uh, he was a, a doctor of exercise physiology. So not a medical doctor. His study was specifically on how the human body feels physiology. Excuse me, how the physiology works. I burped then. That's very rude. Excuse me. Uh, and he asked a question. He stood in front of the room. And uh, a big room of people all dressed in all manner of amazing clothes with all their bits and pieces out. And uh, he asked this question. And I was sitting in the front row. And it changed my life. I'm pre-framing this well, aren't I? He said very passionately to the entire room, or asked very passionately, why do we do three sets of 10? And I don't know what was going on in the rest of the room, but I certainly know what was going on inside my head because I didn't have an answer. The only answer I could come up with was that's what I learned in my course. And as I share very... Um, sincerely and passionately on a regular basis my father taught me never to do that and that day my father was sitting on my shoulder and uh, chastising me through my headspace why don't you know the answer to that it's one of the most commonly used phrases in the exercise industry and you don't have an answer the only thing I could come up with was that's what they taught me in my course Whew. luckily uh, Dr Wayne Westcott was the man and he said very passionately and sincerely to everybody, that he didn't know either. <laughs> he said, we've all been preaching that for a very long time, but I didn't have an answer. So as a doctor of exercise physiology, I felt that it was my responsibility to find out. So we, we pulled a whole lot of people into the lab, and I'm paraphrasing what he said because it was a long time ago and I don't remember the exact words, but it hit me directly through the heart and common sense and logic are two of my other favourite words and it was so common, so much common sense was coming out of his mouth and it was so logical. He said, we pulled in elite athletes, old people, young people, children, young mums, golfers, swimmers. He said, we brought every kind of group of people into the, the research laboratory. And we gave them all manner of different numbers of sets and reps. We gave them one set, two sets, three sets, five sets, ten sets. Because he said, we asked the question, if three sets is good, why isn't four sets better? Maybe five sets are better. Maybe 15 sets are better. And he came up with a very interesting answer. He said, all of our studies showed exactly the same thing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> muscles are blind and muscles can't count. They don't know what they're doing and they don't know how many times they're doing it. They just know that if you overload them, they have to get stronger. So regardless of the number and regardless of the exercise, as long as you overload the muscle, the muscle will get stronger. It has to. Because when you put it under pressure, you break muscle fibers down. They then have to regenerate, rebuild, supercompensate, which automatically makes them stronger. So he said, shouldn't we then only analyze what's safe, what's effective, and what's time efficient? I'm going to say that again. What's safe, what's effective, and what's time efficient? And if one set gives you the same result as three sets, why would you waste people's time? And if you're putting pressure through a joint, whether the exercise is safe or not, whether they're shearing forces or compression forces, even if it's a perfectly safe functional compression force exercise, 
There are overuse injuries. If you do something too many times, you're going to get injured. So why would we give people an exercise that was unsafe, ineffective, and wasted their time when we could give them an exercise that was safe, effective, and time efficient? Uh, I'm not sure I heard too much after that because I just felt absolutely ridiculous. First of all, I couldn't understand or couldn't explain why we did three sets of 10. Of course, if you go back to your anatomy and physiology, which is exactly what I did, I was so embarrassed that I didn't know the answer that I went back to simple anatomy and physiology. Anatomy, to find out if the exercise is safe, which is when you put your x-ray goggles on and look what's happening at the joint. And if an exercise is putting shearing forces across the joint, and then maybe rotation forces across the joint, and then maybe rotation and shearing forces at speed with momentum across the joint, of course we're gonna get injured. So I don't wanna do that to anybody anymore ever again. Uh, why would I give somebody a long, boring exercise when I can give them a short, fast one? And if it's safe and if it's short and fast, is it more likely to be effective because people will actually do it? So I took all of that back to my health club in Sydney and uh, had a, didn't sleep on the plane all the way home and was very excited to get back into my health club and start teaching people um, not what to do, <laughs> but how to do it effectively, not what to think, but how to think for themselves. I then received in the mail, not very long after that, a beautiful brochure from a conference at the Gold Coast in Australia, and there was a exercise physiologist, a health scientist, that was talking on uh, abbreviated training is what it was called. Now, I called my program Quick Resistance Training, Quality Resistance Training, so QRT, uh, and used both of those terminologies. And this person was calling it abbreviated training. And this was a health scientist from Australia and it was a woman. I was very excited because I hadn't heard women speak about strength training before. So I booked my flight to the Gold Coast. And just as an interesting side note, as an exercise professional, nobody paid me to go to that conference. I was already qualified. I didn't have to go to the conference. I wanted to keep learning. It's one of the things I'm sharing with you because I meet so many people in in this industry, and I can't call them professionals, who get a bit of paper and that's the last bit of education they ever do, and they proudly share that with me. They say, yes, I know how to train people. I did my qualifications years ago. I don't need to learn anymore. And they actually say it proudly. I'm so embarrassed when I hear that. So I went to the conference, paid for my flight, went to the Gold Coast, walked into the conference room, excited about this session on abbreviated training, and the woman, Kerry McAvoy, was talking about the importance of keeping exercise, you ready, safe, effective and short because they're the reasons why people stop exercising or don't start and why 90% of the population don't exercise is because if exercises are either unsafe and they get hurt, they're too long and boring or they're ineffective and they don't work. Fancy that. Just happened to be that Kerry McAvoy was a man. <laughs> I remember walking up to the front of the conference room and saying to K-Man, I'd like to meet Kerry when she arriving and he said, I'm Kerry. <laughs> I'm sharing that with you because that obviously started a very special relationship that's now lasted for 26 years. But I'm sharing that with you because when two, two minds come together that are on the same path, that's pretty, pretty bloody exciting and it certainly was for us because we have then dedicated the last 26 years of our life together aiming to educate people effectively. On, and I can't express this enough. I get so excited about the human body because it's so clever. It's, it works so effectively when it's in great shape, when it's fit, when it's strong, when it's healthy. And I love to say this. 
If I look after my body, it will look after me. If I look after my body, I can be young and strong for long. And I'm sharing that again so passionately because I spent so many years of my life doing silly exercises with shearing forces, rotational forces with momentum on every joint in my body. Here I am chronologically advanced and I've got broken and busted and sore and worn out joints every single day. And I didn't think that was possible because when I was 20, I thought I was bulletproof and couldn't get hurt. But if you want to stay young and strong for long, you have to have strong joints, uh, safe, uh, sorry, exercises that are safe that don't wear out your joints so that you can keep exercising for a long time. So I have to now be very, very careful about the way that I exercise because I've got this body that's broken. So I'm sharing that with you that if you want to be a young, fit, strong, old person, don't wreck your joints. How about that? And please don't wreck other people's joints. I've just today had to deal with another situation where somebody who didn't learn their anatomy and physiology, who followed the crowd, called themselves a personal trainer, a person of the general public trusted them with their body and unfortunately that person has now blown out their knee. They were a netballer and I, I talk about these examples all the time and today there's just been another one where somebody came into the gym for the very first time, the exercise person, and I don't know whether it's because they were uneducated or arrogant or they were following the crowd or that's what the gym told them they had to do or that because there was a machine there called a leg extension machine, they put this person on the leg extension machine for the first time and this person blew out their knee pretty much in the first exercise, the first time they ever came to exercise with that person. Uh, I really, really feel for the person who's now got a busted knee. Can you imagine what it feels like when somebody comes to exercise with you and you break their knee? And I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to scare you because you don't know what's going on inside a person's knee. And if you put them on a leg extent, extension machine, well, you're now lifting a weight at the end of a long lever and you're putting shearing forces across the knee, the patella's pulling back against the femur and grinding, and you think that that's a safe exercise. Is it possible that knee will break? If not today, it will break in the future. And can you imagine how that would feel? As I always share, I'm standing today and I love standing. I think sitting's a waste of time as I shared. But I have to stand. I have to stand because uh, I did thousands and thousands of sit-ups of grinding and rotation and grinding and rotation and momentum. And I perforated my disc L45 at 18 years of age. And I have, to, have had to deal with that my entire life. And the orthopedic surgeon that I was lucky enough to get in front of, who was a sports orthopedic surgeon responsible for looking after million dollar football players and getting them back on the field, he said to me, you've obviously been doing lots of sit-ups with a twist, lots of sit-ups with momentum, lots of sit-ups with, with speed, and that's why you've busted your joint. Uh, that was my fault. I chose to do those exercises because I didn't ask people why we're we doing this and how does it work. Why would I do an exercise that puts me on the floor, puts rotational and uh, shearing forces across my joint and do it at speed? I'm going to break my body if I do that. I might not be today, but it's going to be sometime in the future if I continue to do the exercise. So what exercises work? And I know I invest a lot of time in please don't do the exercises that don't work. But if we ask the question, what, what actually works? And then you go back to how does the human body work? You have to go back to, <coughs> excuse me again. You have to, I get excited about this stuff because I really want the world to be healthy, fit and strong, not get injured, not have their time wasted and get the best results possible. 
So if you go back to your basic anatomy and physiology, it's not complicated. You just have to learn it in the first place. As you know, there are three energy systems. The human body has a phosphate system, a lactate system, and an aerobic system. That's the energy to do the activity. The phosphate system, the energy comes from stored phosphates in the muscles and lasts for 10 seconds. And it's the only 100% energy uh, effort system. When you exercise in the phosphate system, that's when your body's designed to get the hell out of there in a hurry or turn and fight and kill the animal. It's called the fight and flight energy system because it's, it's designed for survival. And the only way you can survive is if you have to sprint or you have to turn and fight and use every single muscle and bone in your body. So the interesting thing about the phosphate system, and it's only 10 seconds, but when I said before to get people to exercise, anything past zero, <laughs> the, the, the number of choice is zero. So the further as we get past zero, the less likely people are to want to exercise. I think the human body knows that because if you want to get really fit and if you want to get really strong, the best exercise energy system to work in is the phosphate system, which is only 10 seconds. The next one's really interesting because the lactate system is the 10 seconds to 2 minutes, as you would know if you've studied your anatomy, uh, the, and, and physiology, of course. Uh, the, it, you, you can work, work really hard for 10 seconds to 2 minutes, but there's a waste product produced. It's called lactic acid. It causes the muscle burning sensation inside your body. So when you do sit-ups and you get that burning sensation in your muscle, it's not exploding fat cells, is it? <laughs> Obviously, that's not how the human body works, and that's not how the fat loss system works or how the body burns fat. If you've got that burning sensation, that obviously means that you're not burning fat because you're in the lactate system. So the challenge with that is the burning sensation, which some people love, and you'll hear instructors say that, feel the burn, feel the burn. But the general public, the 90% people of people who don't want to exercise, they don't want to feel the burn. They bloody hate it. And not only do they feel the burn, but a lot of people start feeling a bit sick. It's called the green zone. It's one of those uh, interesting slang terms in the, in the exercise industry. Oh, you're in the green zone. That's because you feel like being sick. That's lactic acid again. So that system's really difficult to get people to exercise in because it has a lot of side effects. You have a burning sensation in your muscles. You feel like being sick. Uh, and that's that's still at a that you're trying to work at 100% effort, but everything past 10 seconds, you're now pacing yourself. You can work at 100% effort for 10 seconds, yeah, but after that, it's <gasps> and the burning sensation. One of the hardest races, if you do sprinting, is the 400 or 800 meter sprints because you're meant to be going as hard as you possibly can, but you've got to go for a really long time. Now, the next really interesting challenge, of course, is that when you get into the aerobic system which is what we, we work in all the time. The human body works aerobically, meaning we're using oxygen. The byproduct is carbon dioxide. We breathe that out for the plants. Isn't that awesome how that all works? And we use carbohydrate protein as a little bit of protein and fat, so predominantly carbohydrate and fat. Phosphate system, stored phosphates. Lactate system, only carbohydrate. And then we the aerobic system, the long, boring, plod jogging can go forever we're burning up a percentage of carbohydrate and fat, but at a very slow rate compared to the 10% effort. So why am I getting so detailed in that? I think we might have forgotten that or we never learnt it because so many classes, so many exercise programs, so many things that people are talking about is how many hours we can do, how long we can exercise for. I often hear this, the longer the better, the more you do the better. But the more you get away from 100% effort, the less result you get. 
The more you get away from zero, the less likely people are to exercise because remember the choice number of exercise is zero. So if I can get people to exercise in a very short period of time, is it possible that they'll actually do it because it's not long and boring? And if you are unfit or you just hate exercise, how long does 45 minutes feel like? How long does an hour feel like? Even 30 minutes, how long does that feel like? If you've got an unfit person and you stick them on a cross trainer or, or a rowing machine or a bike or a, or a treadmill and you say you've got to stay on there for 30 minutes and watch those numbers tick over, it feels like forever just to ask them. Yes, please ask them. So we've got the whole entire energy systems, human body, anatomy and physiology on our side as exercise professionals. We just either have forgotten it or we haven't learnt it in the first place. That 10 seconds is for sprinting and you go as hard as you possibly can and you only stop when you can't do any more. But guess what? Everybody has to stop around 10 seconds. Whether you're super fit or unfit, the phosphate system only lasts 10 seconds. So you just say to everybody, go as hard as you possibly can for 10 seconds or just go as hard as you possibly can and watch how long it takes. <sighs> but see, 10 seconds is only 10 seconds. I'm going to say that again. 10 seconds. Go as hard as you can. Now, the recovery time from that will determine how fit the person is or how fit the person's getting. Isn't that exciting? An automatic mechanism. You don't need a, a stopwatch. You don't need a heart rate monitor. You don't need a, a $1,000 special watch on your arm to say, this is my heart rate. Get people to go as hard as they possibly can and keep going until they can't do any more and take their heart rate and their resting heart rate, their exercising heart rate, and how long it takes to recover. So a resting heart rate will tell you how fit somebody is pretty much anyway. Isn't that exciting? Because obviously when you really fit, your heart heart beats at a very slow rate because it doesn't need to beat fast because it's really fit. It doesn't need to use much energy when it's resting. When you're fit, it goes really hard, really fast, but so does an unfit person. It just takes longer to recover if you're unfit. So if I get somebody to sprint really hard, then take their heart rate or just wait till they get their breath back and measure how long that is and you'll find that as people to get, get fitter that just becomes a shorter period of time isn't that exciting and so easy Rowie, what's the exercise to do who cares your heart and lungs are blind they don't know whether you're punching or kicking or skipping or running upstairs or running through soft sand or doing jump squats or using a cross trainer or a bike but the only question I always ask is this why would we exercise in the sitting down position? Now, I know some people love to row and some people love to ride a bike. But if you go back to how the human body is designed, we were never designed to ride a bike or, or row because we didn't have boats and we didn't have bikes. Yeah, we had the human body and the human body is designed to, to run. It's designed to run really hard. It's designed to punch and kick and fight the animal. So that's just a decision that you need to make. Uh, is it more effective to be in the upright position or the seated position? And let's get puffed. Now, that's the huffy puffy part. Isn't that easy? What's the best exercise to do? Get puffed, get your breath back, get puffed, get your breath back. If you've got three minutes, do that for three minutes. Get puffed, get your breath back. If you've got three hours, get puffed, get your breath back. <laughs> it's a really simple process, and I don't know why we've made it so complicated. That's just basic anatomy and physiology 101. Then strength training, because if, you, if you're not really strong, you can't sprint hard. The stronger you are, and just have a look at Olympic athletes at the Olympic Games that do 100-metre sprints, they look like bodybuilders, yeah? They've got enormously beautiful physiques. The blokes have got, they literally could walk onto a bodybuilding stage because they have to be strong to be able to go fast. 
the harder you, the stronger you are, the harder you can go, and the harder you can go, the fitter you get. That's just common sense, yeah? Get really strong so you can push really hard so you can get really fit. So why have we made strength training so complicated? I'm going to go back to, how many do I do? Muscles are blind and they can't count, so it doesn't matter. You do as many as you possibly can within those energy systems. If I'm working up this end of the energy system, aerobic system, I'm not going to get any stronger because I can keep going, which means I'm not overloading my muscles. If I can do something 20 times, 15 times probably, it's too light because I can do too many of them. The closest I can stay to zero, the stronger I'm going to get in the shorter period of time. And of course, in, a, in the safest way possible, because I'm not going to get overuse injuries. I'm not going to be doing 30, 40, 50 repetitions of anything. It's only going to be 6, 8, 10 maybe, as many as I can do in a 10-second period safely without putting shearing forces and uh, rotational speed forces through my joint. Pretty simple. So should I do break the body up into little pieces or work the whole the body as a whole machine? The body never breaks up into little pieces. We never use one arm at a time. We never use one leg at a time. We never use isolated muscles at a time. When you are doing big functional compound exercises to run away from something, to turn and fight something, use every single muscle in your body. So why don't we choose exercises that do that? Why don't we choose exercises that little ones that get little results and then put people on the floor? Why don't we do that? Uh, the biggest one is, oh, how do I work my abdominals? Well, this is usually because I want to have a flat stomach, not because I want to have a strong one. But the abdominals and lower back muscles are designed to work in conjunction with each other to hold me in the upright position, not the lying down position. When I'm in the lying down position, even if I use my abdominals, isolated, the, isolated my abdominals by doing isolation exercises, the, the muscles that they work in conjunction with are not doing anything because the floor is doing the work. It's same as if I do something sitting down. The biggest muscles in my body are doing nothing because they're supported by whatever I'm sitting on. If you want to get the best results from your exercise, shouldn't we pick big exercises to get big results? Big exercises that use as many muscles as possible at the same time. Keep going till I can't do any more. There's no, why would I control it by a number? This three sets of 10 question just is just craziness. What if I can do 11? What if I can only do eight and I push through to 10 and hurt myself? The goal is to lift as heavy as I possibly can within the phosphate system so I use my fast twitch muscle fibers. That's the important one so I don't get old. They waste away because we don't use them as we get old. And they only work in that first 10 seconds. After that, I'm going to be using my slow twitch muscle fibers. So I want to overload as heavy as I can, do as many as I can. If I can do 9, 10, 11, 12, well, next time I'm going to pick a heavier weight. How many times should I do it? I'm going to go back to my first amazing wow epiphany with Dr. Wayne Westcott. Rowie, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Muscles can't count. They don't know whether you do one set or three or six or ten. But the question is, once I do more than one set, what's happening to my overuse risk? If I do one set, I go as hard as I can. I switch the light on and then I recover, regenerate, supercompensate. And when I've supercompensated, that's when I'm stronger. I don't get stronger when I'm lifting. I get stronger when I'm supercompensated. So I'm going to wrap all that up very quickly. You ready? Get puffed, lift heavy. Get puffed, lift heavy and do it safely, time efficiently and make sure it's effective. And I'm going to ask this very passionately, please. doesn't matter how much we preach about an exercise. If we're not getting a result, that exercise is a waste of time. Please. Yes, please. So many people talk about, I've been doing this for all of my life. And I go, well, congratulations, because if, if you're doing something, it's better than nothing. 
But some people have smoked all of their life too and they're still alive. But we wouldn't recommend for people to smoke because it has a really high risk. We can give people really high risky exercises to do and maybe they'll never break a joint. But it's a very big risk to take. And I can't imagine how yucky, and it's in my deep dark past but I'm trying to forget about it because I gave people some stupid exercises that wasted their time and would have hurt them and I hurt my own body. And I don't want to do that to myself ever again and I don't want it to, do it to, to do it to anybody else. How about you? So how about we get people puffed? How about we get people strong? How about we do it in as close to 10 seconds as possible? Rest, go again, rest, go again. With your strength training, it's a whole different story, of course, because you actually have to recover. The muscle tear in the, in the, in the muscle has to recover, regenerate and supercompensate. And how long does that take? I don't know. It's different for everybody, yeah? How about how much sleep I get, what kind of food I'm eating, how much stress I'm under, what my lifestyle's like, what my other activities in my life are like. The only time I know somebody's gotten stronger is if they've actually gotten stronger. Isn't that funny? Common sense and logic. How do I know that I'm stronger? I'm lifting heavier. How do I know that I'm fitter? I've got a lower resting heart rate and I'm recovering quicker after I exercise at 100% effort. Why don't we make it more complicated than that? Please don't. Because 90% of the people in the world don't want to exercise. Their, their choice number of exercise is zero. All we've got to do is get them to do a little bit more than zero, which is 10 seconds. And then every so often after that, 10 seconds. We can get people fit and we can get people strong in a really short period of time. And guess what? It works! Woohoo!